0: Welcome to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Downs. I'm a fourth grade teacher, PhD student at Utah State University, and someone who just wants to know more about reading. This podcast is about bridging literacy research and practice. Every episode, you'll hear from a literacy researcher about their work, why it matters, and how to turn it into practice in your classroom. Hello, welcome to episode two. I'm super excited for the conversation you're about to listen to. I spend the next 30 minutes talking with Dr. John Z. Strong. Uh, He's an assistant professor at the University of Buffalo. And we talk about ways that we can support readers in reading difficult texts. It's a great conversation. Some of the things we talk about is the difference between text difficulty and text complexity. We also talk about ways to group your students to support them in difficult texts and a walkthrough of what a simple lesson plan could look like. Our conversation is based off of the article that he published in The Reading Teacher in 2018 with Stephen J. Amendem and Kristen Conrady-Smith. It's a fantastic conversation. I really had a lot of great takeaways for it as a teacher of fourth graders needing to read difficult texts frequently, and uh, I can say it's benefited my practice. So let me introduce John Z. Strong to you. Uh, We'll get straight to the conversation. Afterwards, you can stick around and listen to my two cents on what we talked about. John Z. Strong is assistant professor in the Graduate School of Education at the University of Buffalo. Previously, he taught undergraduate and graduate courses in literacy education at the University of Delaware. John is a former high school ninth grade English language arts teacher and English department chair. In 2015, he was selected as the teacher of the year at his school. His research interests include integrating reading and writing interventions for adolescents. And for his dissertation research, he designed an informational text structure intervention that led to improvements in fourth and fifth grade students' reading comprehension skills and informative writing quality. So, without further ado, I bring to you John Z. Strong. the Podcast.
1: Thanks, Jake. I, uh, I'm glad to be here. Uh,
0: so you wrote an article in 2018 um, with a few of your colleagues, Stephen Amendom and Kristen Conrady-Smith, about supporting elementary students' reading of difficult texts. Uh, I think it's very well written. It makes some great points about how to support students in, in a classroom setting. Uh, I'm curious, what pushed you to being interested in supporting students in complex texts?
1: Uh, Well, first off, thank you for that compliment. I appreciate you saying that about the article. Um, You know, I was actually a high school English teacher. Uh, I taught primarily ninth grade English um, and also AP literature and composition. So, you know, I'm no stranger to assigning texts that are uh, probably more difficult than students feel comfortable with um, in the classroom. Um, And, you know, when I was a ninth grade teacher, most of my students really couldn't uh, comprehend grade-level text, and that became a real problem when the Common Core State Standards were adopted, and people started paying a lot more attention to text complexity. Um, and so, you know, I find that in schools, um, there are really kind of two contrasting approaches, right? And one is that teachers might uh, choose to differentiate instruction for readers of different reading levels in their class by assigning students to read text at their level. Right? And then the other one is to actually assign students texts that are complex across the board, sort of regardless of their reading ability. And then what has to change is actually the amount of instructional support you provide them. Um, and if I can just attribute uh, that sort of line of thinking to my advisor uh, at University of Delaware when I was a doctoral student, Sharon Walpole, and her partner, uh, Mike McKenna, who passed away a few years ago, they're really the ones who influenced my thinking around uh, complex
0: texts. I think complex texts are a huge part of the common core and is, is very contemporary in education. So what factors make one text more difficult than another?
1: Yeah, so uh, my my colleagues, uh, Steve Mendham and Kristen Karate-Smith, they had uh, written a paper with uh, Freddie Hebert about this and sort of conceptualizing text complexity and text difficulty. And one thing that they found is this important distinction between how we talk about it um, that I think actually should probably get more attention, right? We could talk about text complexity, which is a feature of the text itself or a text in comparison to other texts, right? So if you just look at a text um, and look at particular factors in the text, like how long the sentences are, how many multisyllabic words are in it or how many rare words are in it. You can compare texts all using that same metric, right? And so one text can be more complex than another text. Um, But then if we think about text difficulty... Uh, The fact is that some texts are going to be more difficult for some readers than other readers, and they're going to be more difficult in some contexts than in other contexts. And that's sort of regardless of where it falls along the text complexity continuum, right? So when we're thinking about text difficulty, we really need to think about um, how complex the text is what sort of characteristics or knowledge base or, you know, all these other different factors the reader has and also what we're going to ask them to do with it. Right. So just a really quick, short example, like um, some children love dinosaurs. I don't know if you liked dinosaurs when you were little, right. But um, dinosaurs have some pretty long names, right. And there's a lot of technical vocabulary associated with dinosaurs, but a child who knows a lot about dinosaurs can read and comprehend a text about dinosaurs that might actually be more difficult than, you know, a comparably complex text uh, about a topic that she or he knows nothing about.
0: Excellent. So you you sort of are mentioning that or, or stating that text difficulty is you move beyond text complexity, complexity. That complexity is part of the difficulty, but there's also things the reader brings to the table that helps determine whether a text is more yeah. difficult than than another or not. So when when a teacher is selecting. Uh, difficult texts. What are what are ways that they can determine how difficult a text might be for their students?
1: Well, um, the way that uh, you know other researchers have tend to thought about this, and even the way that the you know the Common Core State Standards frame it, is to think about these sort of uh, quantitative factors of um, text complexity, um, as well as sort of qualitative judgments of text difficulty. Right. So. Um, You know, we talked about uh, or or I mentioned sentence length and word frequency, which is, of course, uh, those are the two components that make up the Lexile framework. Right. So when you're looking at a Lexile score, it's really just a matter of how long the sentences are and how you know, infrequent or frequent the words are. And you can actually find that, you know, you can manipulate a text fairly easily and change its lexile by sort of tinkering or, tinkering around with those two things. So I would say that actually when a teacher is thinking about selecting a text, you know, I would think about uh, the quantitative aspects of text complexity, but you, you really can't stop there. And I think that's maybe the issue that teachers might have is they don't know what else they can use, right? Um and so there are more sort of multidimensional uh, tools that uh, teachers can use uh, to uh, analyze text complexity. There's one called Co-Metrics, which uh, is available online at tea.cohmetrics, uh, with an X at the end, .com. Um, and Jake, maybe you can put out that URL somehow. Um, so that's the t- co-metrics Text Easeability Assessor, and you know, it provides all sorts of other um, features of the text, like uh, the number of concrete words. Right, like a word like democracy is more abstract than a word like uh, house or rock, or right something that can be pointed at and which is a, a concrete noun. Um, how formal the language is, whether the uh, sentences are cohesive and sort of build on one another and connect ideas, and you know it's easy to get lost in the weeds there. But I think what's important, or at least what I like to say, is that, um, you know, there's more than just Lexile. And if you start looking at other measures, you can compare the same text on different measures and get wildly different results in terms of, like, what grade level it's appropriate for, right? But I think that's something that's probably more um, pragmatic for teachers, right, instead of going around and plugging all their text into all these tools online or retyping them, is to think about the qualitative aspects of texts that um, traditionally uh, human human readers right will rate um, things like the level of meaning or purpose in a text right so if the uh, the purpose is explicitly stated obviously that's going to be a lot more clear and comprehensible to many readers as opposed to uh, a purpose that's sort of implicit and needs to be inferred. I think another thing that's really important to consider is the knowledge demands, right? And I talked about the issue with the dinosaurs. Um but it, it, it when reading a text with a careful eye, um you know, teachers know their their students and their readers better than um the author who didn't write this with, you know, your particular students in mind. But uh, you know, when teachers are thinking about selecting texts, I would say look at the quantitative measures that you might be familiar with already, but then really read attentively, thinking of your readers and what, um, what they, what types of support they might need.
0: Excellent, and then also the task. the The task is important yeah. too. Whether the task is easier or harder, uh, what demands it places on the reader to extract the the information they need to from the text makes a difference, right?
1: Yeah, that's yeah, that's a great point, actually. Um, and you know if you know, we talked about the Common Core state standards already, and I think it's relevant because you know a lot of states are still using standards based on the Common Core, and that still look a lot like the Common Core um, at face value. But even the way that those are set up, right? Like, um, if we're asking readers to recall key ideas and details um, after reading, that's an easier task than asking them to integrate pieces of information across multiple texts or analyze and interpret how the author uses craft and structure to convey meaning, right? So there's sort of a continuum of um, task difficulty as well that we should consider. So when thinking about text selection, um, I would say it's okay to err on the side of a text that's too difficult. I would, I would personally choose a text that's more difficult than I think my readers can handle, because um, in the context of instruction and instructional support, they can Usually handle more when they're reading it with a teacher than when they're reading it independently, um, and and so I would think about building on tasks to start with easier tasks and build towards more complex tasks that require more comprehension.
0: Excellent. So the, the bulk of what you talk about in the article, and which which segues perfectly from what you just mentioned, is uh, you provide. Steps or a way of mm-hmm. thinking for teachers to select a text, and then you also spend a, a good chunk of, of time explaining how to design instruction using um, those those complex texts. So let's start with the steps for selecting a text. How would you recommend a teacher select difficult texts?
1: You know, we looked across what other researchers who have written about this, like Elfrida uh, Hebert and like, you know, Doug Fisher and Nancy Fry, people who have written a lot about text complexity since the Common Core State Standards came out. Um, how were they thinking about um, you know the process for selecting text and how we, could we try to consolidate that in a meaningful way? And so uh, I, I look at it in four steps, right? So um, you know since since 2010 2012, teachers have been very familiar with uh, um, Lexile and 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 the Common Core, right? So those are our sort of first two steps. So I would start by thinking about the instructional task based on grade level standards, and also based on content standards, right? So, um, you know, what science and social studies content are we going to need to address because through uh, reading and its association with background knowledge, I would actually start with um, the content, right? What is it that we want students to learn, both in terms of the literacy skills when looking at the literacy standards and also looking at the content standards, right? And we would also think about assessment data in there as well, right? What do my student, what skills do my students need to develop, right? Are they still um, having difficulties with word recognition, and you know, do they still need word recognition support and instruction? Um, do they have proficient word recognition but difficulties with oral reading fluency, or do they have proficient oral reading fluency but still have difficulties with comprehension, right? Or are they sort of uh, comprehending at a um, an appropriate Um, level for grade level text right so okay so first step think about the standards and think about the assessed needs of your students second step uh, look at a familiar resource that uh, you might already be using in your school I mentioned Luxile a lot because I think a lot of people use that, but they also might use another text leveling system, you know, like reading A to Z or like, um, you know, leveled reading, uh, guided reading levels, right? Something where essentially we're looking at the text complexity, right? Of uh, texts uh, rank ordered, right? Sort of on this metric from more complex to less complex. So start there and um, choose a grade level text, right? Something that's in within, within that uh grade level Lexile band. But again, um, I think that many teachers might tend to select texts that are too easy for their students, and I would actually uh, encourage them to choose something that might be a little bit more difficult um, because it, it, especially if in the context of instruction, right? If we're talking about independent reading, I, I might say something different, right? But I'm talking about sort of uh, an instructional context. So we talked a little bit about co-metrics, and I would say um, you know, It's worth considering comparing the text complexity with a second source um, if something seems off with the Lexile, right? Of course, at this point in the process, if they haven't already done so, the teacher should read this text, right? We can't just select solely based on Lexile. We need to read the text and look at it, make sure it's going to meet our instructional objectives, make sure it's going to be appropriate for students. And if it seems like it's either too easy or too difficult based on its Lexile placement or its uh, guided reading level placement, then, you know, I would go out to that uh, co-metrics website and, you know, put a short tex- section of the text in. And what it will do is it'll actually compute a grade level for you. I think they use the Flesch-Kincaid level, right? Um, you know, you can also compute that, I think, even in Microsoft Word, right? You can compute the Flesch-Kincaid level. Um, and so if you're seeing a disparity there where the grade level doesn't match with the grade level band of the Lexile or, or the guided reading level, then... Um, you know, maybe give it a a second thought of whether it's an appropriate text or not. In the article, we, you know, we had this one example. um, I think it was number the stars, right? Which um, a lot of teachers might use in an upper elementary classroom where, you know, we compared it across uh, three different um, text leveling tools or text uh, readability analysis tools. And we found that one said it was in the second or third grade level, one said it was mid fourth grade level and the other said it was a sixth grade level text, right? So that's a problem if there's some inconsistencies there, um, and then the last step, which I think is important but time-consuming, is actually going and analyzing the qualitative dimensions of text complexity. Right. So there are a lot of tools available. We, um, you know, we have a, a, a text complexity analysis framework in that article that's very similar to Doug Fisher and Nancy Fry's, um, where we're just looking at those sort of four aspects of level of meaning and purpose, the structure of the text the actual language conventions of the text, and then the knowledge demands of the text, right? So think about this text in the context of your reader, and the tasks that you're going to ask them to do. And think about whether this, um, you know, what's going to be difficult about this text for my readers. So this is actually going to lead right into that next step, which is the instructional support, right? So I find that not only is sort of comparing the qualitative aspects of a text of two texts side by side helpful for comparing the text and selecting them, but actually leads you to the instruction. Because by doing this and slowing down and essentially close reading it yourself, you're figuring out all the difficult content that you're going to have to support with readers, right? Like maybe the structure is really difficult, even if the knowledge demands aren't particularly difficult for your students. Um, And I think something that maybe uh, I didn't uh, put across entirely clearly in this article was that I would not suggest this Uh, sort of four-step process for every individual passage or short article that one uh, teacher would assign in class. But um, this is really sort of a a process that I would encourage grade level teams um, to engage in uh, as colleagues with the major texts that they plan on using, right? So sort of the novels, the information books that are going to be the sort of major texts across the school year.
0: So then once they've selected the text, we're, now we can start designing instruction around this complex to meet our students. So mm-hmm. what are some ways you might think about how to uh, group your students in order to support them in, in their instructional needs with this difficult text?
1: Yeah, so um, I think uh, I, I uh, would be remiss if I did not give another shout out here to the work of Sharon Walpole and Mike McKenna. And uh, thinking about assessment data and how we can use that to group students for instruction in a practical, pragmatic way for teachers who might be um, confronted with the task of teaching students at a wide range of reading levels all in the same class, right? So um, there, you know, there, there have been several studies of, uh, of the reading difficulties of, of um, elementary age students, right? And I cite some in the article that um, people may have heard of before, with Spear Swirling and Riddle Bully and Valencia and and and, the, and those people. But um, you know, this actually comes down to again another theory that may or may not be controversial in some fields, but it's the simple view of reading, right? Which points to reading as the product of um, you know word recognition and language comprehension, right? So. When thinking about an efficient way to group students, uh, we want to take all the students who have uh, difficulties or need support with word recognition or include in their uh, fluency, or, or we might split them apart depending on the grade level, right? But so students who need uh, fluency support, students who need comprehension support, or students who need both, right? Um, and so, uh, you know, really clear... Um, screening and, and diagnostic assessment data is actually essential here. You know, a lot of schools use dibbles and things like that, but right, a way of determining uh, will my students need word recognition support for reading this text? Um, will they need comprehension support or will they need both, right?
0: I think that's a fantastic framework approaching of course you can get more nuanced I mean you know oh, each right. one of those groups could be subdivided but that's right at least starting with who are my my fluency needs students who needs support comprehension and both and and that I, I, sometimes differentiation can seem so daunting but if you can kind of cluster it and and so then uh, yeah, I think it's a very pragmatic way of thinking about it
1: yeah I think so because you know um we could talk about sort of like personalized learning and differentiating based on individual needs and things like that. But for a teacher who may be alone in a classroom with, you know, 20 something or close to 30 students, um, how many groups of students could the teacher actually teach, right? During a sort of small group instruction time. And so three or maybe four seems like an appropriate number of groups to teach during that time in most schools.
0: So you also provide a template for helping to walk teach teachers through how they can design instruction. Will you, will you walk through and show us what that template is?
1: Yeah, so, um, I, you know, I, I, I think that uh, uh, the article here and my way of thinking about it has been influenced by a lot of people who have come before me, right, standing on the shoulders of giants here. But thinking about it in a pretty uh, straightforward before, during, and after reading framework, Um, that follows from that sort of qualitative text complexity analysis that we did um, earlier, right? Um, And I'm thinking about now like a small group instruction framework, but this could be sort of tailored based on, um, you know, whole class shared reading as well. Um, But, you know, before reading, we want to keep that relatively brief. The purpose of, you know, our before reading activities is to establish a purpose for reading, right? So say, um, we're reading a book about um, different types of rocks, right? And I want my students to be able to explain the metamorphic rock cycle after reading, right? Okay, so I need to get them there. That's our, our purpose for reading. The text is our vehicle for achieving that objective. Um, I'm going to build background knowledge quickly, which may also involve pre-teaching um, key vocabulary, right? So it's either reviewing or actually explicitly teaching, say, igneous, metamorphic, sedimentary rock, Um and, you know, again, that's based on um, the knowledge and experiences that the readers have, right? How much time that will take, what sort of instructional methods you might use to do that. But we're going to be quick, about five minutes there, um, in a small group reading sort of framework where we're building background knowledge and pre-teaching vocabulary. During reading, um, right, we're thinking about those groupings. And so we're either providing sort of fluency or word recognition support um, or comprehension support or both, Right. Um, And, um, you know, I think that uh, the way that Walpole and McKenna uh, frame it, which is really helpful, is that there's a continuum of support with fluency supports, right? So for students who need fluency support, the most supportive sort of uh, during reading frame that we could give them is echo reading, right? Where I read a line or two lines of text and then they read it back after me. Um, uh, Sort of the next... Uh, you know, a lesser amount of support would be choral reading, right? Like, uh, you know, like we're in church, we're reading it all together at the same time, right? And then uh, the, the next uh, amount of support would be uh, partner reading, right? Where partners are either reading it together one-on-one um, or like line by line or page by page, right? But uh, generally, when you're, when you're pairing partners, you want to think about having a sort of higher ability reader and a, and, a, and a lower ability reader, but with their abilities sort of closely matched to one another, right? And like the PALS Peer Assisted Learning Strategies Framework um, provides some good recommendations for that as well. Also, right, independent reading, of course, would be no fluency support, right? So for those students who don't need word recognition or fluency support, we can um, just have them read sort of independently. Um, the alternative that I didn't talk about is sort of the uh, read-aloud framework, right? So if we're thinking about early primary grades readers and we're reading an informational text about, uh, you know, a difficult content or topic that we want them to learn about, um, we might actually begin with a read-aloud on a topic before then reading a text about it, right? Um, so, okay, so during this during reading, right, we think about the fluency support. Do, do, do the readers need echo reading, choral reading? Partner reading, or even a read aloud, right? To sort of get through um, the the actual uh, word recognition demands of this text. And then the next thing we're going to think about is the uh, reading comprehension support, right? So um, we're thinking about this in a in a repeated reading context here, um, right? So where whereas um, Sorry, let me back up to fluency for a second, Jake, um, because I, I, I don't want to sort of overwhelm people here with this, right, because it's actually a lot more simple than I'm probably making it sound, right? But if you're thinking about like a, a two-read system here, right, pretty simple, re- repeated reading can improve fluency and it can improve comprehension. There's a lot of research actually showing us that, right? So during our first reading, we want to provide sort of more fluency support, and then during our second reading provide less support. Same thing kind of goes with comprehension, right? So during the first reading, we can stop, we can pause, we can model comprehension strategies, we can use think alouds to talk about the structure of the text. And then during the second reading, we can have them um, read for a different purpose or just reinforce that understanding if they're younger or having more difficulty with the text. Or for older readers, um, we could actually get into some close reading there. Right, where they actually use some of those text annotation strategies, like underlining main ideas, noting confusing words, taking notes in the margin, to actually support comprehension. Right. So uh, we'll take a step back again. Right. We've established a purpose for reading. We've built background and vocabulary knowledge. Now we've done two readings at the text of the text. Right. Two pass throughs of the text to support both fluency and comprehension in a way that is uh, uh, more supportive and then less supportive. So essentially, we're gradually releasing some support here um, during the repeated reading activity and then after reading we want to think about supporting comprehension through uh, text-based discussion and or uh, written responses and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier where we can start with sort of uh, less complex tasks that are involved in sort of uh locate and recall, literal level understanding of the text, and then move toward more inferential and even critical and evaluative questions where, uh, you know, we're not overwhelming readers with sort of one difficult question, but we're building that so that, okay, we understand plot first. Now we go to craft and structure. Now we're going to make an evaluative judgment of this text, something like that. Um, uh, And and then um, that's sort of the framework that uh, I would say can be sort of uh adapted right it's it's really based on the readers right so what i like about this framework is that it's not so prescriptive that you feel like you have to follow one particular routine for everybody um but it's prescriptive enough that you can sort of uh see uh that it's all about uh teachers making instructional decisions based on what their readers need does that help? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that template is, is fantastic. So you gave some great examples of ways to help support you know, students that need fluency. Uh, what about your stronger readers that are able, fluent readers, able, comprehenders? Uh, do you re- still recommend them doing repeated, the, the, the two walkthroughs, the two read-throughs? And then do you recommend them doing it orally versus silently? Can you expound on that?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I think that for stronger readers... Um, You know, I tend to focus on students with reading difficulties in my work a lot, so I tend to talk about them. But uh, for, for stronger readers, um, I would definitely move towards silent reading. But I would think about, again, remembering that uh, for our stronger readers, we should be assigning more difficult texts, right? So they should be sufficiently challenging even for our stronger readers. And maybe perhaps they're even above grade level texts, right, um, working in the in the small group reading uh, format. If I would work on um, silent reading. And then, um, you know, if you're familiar with like the reciprocal teaching routines, right, um, it, whether or not that's actually, you know, a, a group reading framework as you use it or where students, um, you know, predict, clarify question, summarize when reading independently and sort of more of a form of a reading guide, um, that to me is what I would do with, with stronger readers, right, building silent reading comprehension, um, but still providing support. Either through peer support with, with um, you know, sort of where they do the reading independently, but do the discussion like a reciprocal teaching, or then um, a, a, a reading guide framework. And I don't mean a reading guide like, here's a list of questions I want you to answer, but like, hey this page is going to have this word and I think you might not know it. So let me tell you what that means really quick. Or I want you to try to figure out what that word means based on um, the sentence that comes after it. It's like a guide from the teacher to the reader that the teacher would actually construct for uh, their their students um, to help support them in the text. And the good thing is if you're having a group of students who are able to read independently, who are stronger readers, and you've prepped that sort of reading guide ahead of time, that gives you more time um, for... Uh, working with the other groups of students who might need more direct teacher support.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Strong. You've given us a lot of thought about uh, how to select difficult difficult texts, how to sequence a lesson around supporting students in difficult texts, and also how to differentiate. Um, I have one last question for you. What do you think makes a great teacher?
1: Uh, you know, that's a, that's a really uh, great question. Um, and I've seen a lot of great teachers um in my time in schools and being in classrooms um and i think you know what's consistent across them is two things one is that they have really high standards for their students and they really want them to develop and grow as readers as learners etc um and you know that i think is uh, essential for being a great teacher, but there's even something that's a prerequisite to that, which is having good relationships with students, being able to motivate them—that human factor, right? And I think that both are actually necessary, right? Where um, a teacher could have good relationships but not push his or her students, and, and uh, you know, and that to me isn't sort of getting the most benefit of the teacher-student relationship. Right, And then you could have a teacher who has really high expectations of students, but the students are not motivated because they don't have a good relationship with the teacher. So I think those two things working in tandem make a really great teacher who's able to have a really large impact on students.
0: Excellent. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I know you have a book, or you're, you're co-author of a book that's coming out soon. Can you give us the details about that so people can um, find out more about it if they're interested?
1: Yeah, I wanted to share this, actually, because a lot of the uh, things that we've been talking about on the show today are consistent with what's in the book. So uh, the second edition of Differentiated Literacy Instruction in grades four and five will be available from Guilford Press in October 2019. Um, and so that's uh, Sherrod Walpole, Mike McKenna, Zoe Filipakos, and me. Um, and so that's a really uh, great book for upper elementary teachers. And You know, um, Sharon Walpole and Mike McKenna have written uh, numerous books for primary grades teachers that are uh, complementary to that book. But, um, you know, I would just say if you're interested at all in um, what we've talked about on the show today and, you know, uh, issues of teaching with difficult texts for upper elementary grade readers, you might want to check out the book.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much, Dr. Strong. Uh, we appreciate you taking your time to uh, talk to us about difficult texts.
1: Thanks, Jake. Um, it was really a pleasure to be here. And thanks for doing this podcast. And thanks for asking me to be honest.
0: Wow, I enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Strong so much. I really appreciate him joining us on the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Here's my two cents on what we talked about. The first thing is I love the discussion on text complexity versus text difficulty. Text complexity is relatively straightforward. There's different formulas that are used to calculate how complex a text is. But text complexity formulas like Luxile, or AR, or Flesch-Kincaid, or even Co-Matrix, they don't tell the whole story. There's things like levels of meaning, structure, type of language, the tasks that the reader will be asked to do, and the background knowledge that the reader has, among other things, that all play into how difficult a text is, yet aren't necessarily quantitatively measurable by some sort of formula. And that's where good old-fashioned... Quality teacher intuition comes into play. That a teacher can also take a qualitative look at a text and say, I know what the complexity of this text is. How can I figure out the difficulty of this text? And so it's not about throwing text complexity to the curb and saying it's not useful anymore. It's using it, definitely still using it as informative towards instruction, but it's using that complexity and then taking it a step further to difficulty. And by doing that, by having the teacher take a look at the text and figuring out what do my students bring to the table, what tasks will I ask of them, how what does the text structure look like, and sort of using all of that together to determine what the actual difficulty of the text is. I think that's a fantastic way of thinking about text in complexity versus difficulty, and I think it would make a big impact on our students if we can... Begin to think more that way and adjust our teaching uh, to align with text difficulty. The second thing I loved about our conversation was uh, Dr. Strong's approach to differentiation. Uh, he references Louise uh, Sterling, Swirl- sorry, excuse me, Louise Swirling Spears' uh, work. She had an article tw- in 2016 in The Reading Teacher where she talks about uh, similar to the way that Dr. Strong groups it by. Students that have a fluency need, students that have a comprehension need, and then students that have a mixed need. And I think that's a really smart way, efficient way, of grouping students uh, within literacy. Many times there'll just be one teacher in a classroom with 25 to 30 students. And so that it becomes daunting to support every single reader in the classroom. But at least by grouping them by common reader profiles... You can use strategies to help support them, whether it's using an echo reading, having them do partner or dyad reading, or maybe both read-throughs are silent readings, but then they have an enrichment task attached to it. But being able to group our students by common needs and then adjust our instruction to meet that, that's just good instruction. But thinking about it by their literacy needs with fluency, comprehension, enrichment, silent reading, and whatnot... I think could go a really far way uh, to help support our students as well. I know it's made a difference in in my classroom. Uh, My first few years of teaching, I didn't have a really concrete... I knew I needed to differentiate. I knew I did, and I knew that that would help my readers, but I didn't really feel that I knew how to do it very well. And uh, I've come a long way, but I feel that discussing this with Dr. Strong has definitely influenced my teaching this year. By helping me think, okay, these are my fluency needing students. These are my students need support and comprehension. These are my students that need support in both. And these are my students that that need enrichment, that I need to stretch and challenge a bit more. The approach is also it's flexible. That uh, everyone's reading a given text twice through, but they're each going to get it in a slightly different way to meet their needs. I think it's just a real sharp way of of acknowledging that it's one teacher in one classroom. Uh, but still being able to try and help meet the needs of all readers. So that's it this week for the Teaching Literacy Podcast. If you liked what you heard today, remember to share, it with, share the podcast with a colleague. Uh, in uh, Social media-wise, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And then where you get your podcasts, we're on Stitcher and iTunes, and then we're also on YouTube. So thanks for joining me this week. Uh, next week, we'll be talking with Chase Young about how to support Tiered fluency instruction in the classroom, which is a great conversation. So, thanks for joining me, and I will, well, you'll be listening to me next week. Thanks for listening to our conversation today. Remember to check out the show notes for more details. If you have feedback or a show idea, feel free to email me at teachingliteracypodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. This is Jake with the Teaching Literacy Podcast, and until next time, let's go and teach literacy just a little bit better.